So every week, if you hear me remind you of this, if you're new here, every, you know, first time you're here, I always inform you of this because it is central to who we are as a church and what we do. You hear me make this statement that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And what I want to do for the next two weeks is I actually want to pause and I want to talk about what these two words mean. What does it mean to have a growing relationship with Jesus? Now, I'm making an assumption, but I think it's a fair assumption. I'm making the assumption that you actually care what it means to have a growing relationship, but I think that's a fair assumption because you wouldn't be here if you didn't care. Even if you're not someone who's a follower of Jesus, I mean, you're curious about it or you wouldn't show up. I know she told you you had to come or, you know, you got bribed with a free lunch, but still, you wouldn't have agreed if you didn't have a little bit of curiosity around this. I think most people I interact with and encounter, I think most people in our community, most people in our world, are interested in what it looks like to have a growing relationship with Jesus and whether that's possible for them. And the good news is we believe it is possible. We believe a growing relationship with Jesus is for all people, which is why our goal from day one has always been to create a church that people not in church love to attend just as much as all the church people love to attend it because we think a growing relationship is not just for church people. We think a growing relationship with Jesus is possible for all people, and, and this, this assertion is a little bold, but I would make the argument, not only is it possible for all people, but a growing relationship with Jesus is actually what's best for all people. And the reason I think it's best is simply because of this idea. Here's why. We think it's best because following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at life. We think, and just think about this, we think following Jesus is going to make your life better for this reason. When you begin to follow Jesus, it answers or addresses a lot of the things that all of us as human beings need. When you begin to follow Jesus, you find a sense of meaning and purpose and significance that is bigger than and greater than you, and every human being is wired to want meaning, purpose, and significance. When you begin to follow Jesus, it addresses things like the insecurity that most all human beings struggle with at different points in their life. Because when you follow Jesus, you know what you discover? You discover who you are, you discover whose you are, and you discover your value and your worth as an individual. And when you begin to follow Jesus, I would argue that it makes you happier. That happiness is best. Happiness is, is um, most often found in following Jesus. And the reason I would argue that is because happiness is always a byproduct of peace. Isn't that true? Your happiness is always a byproduct of peace. And you know what following Jesus does? Following Jesus helps you to experience peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. And when you're at peace with God, when you're at peace with others, and when you're at peace with yourself, you are at your happiness. And following Jesus provides that kind of peace in all three of those relationships. So I would argue or I would suggest that a growing relationship with Jesus matters because following Jesus is going to make your life better and... It's going to make you better at life. And here's all I mean by that. It's going to make you better at forgiving. It's going to make you better at dealing with suffering and pain and difficulty. Following Jesus is going to make you better at managing your finances. Following Jesus is going to make you better as a spouse. Or if you're, it's going to make you better in, in dating relationships. Following Jesus is going to make you better as a parent. When you begin to follow Jesus and you begin to live the principles that he taught, it actually makes you better at all the different arenas of life. Following Jesus is going to make your life better. Following Jesus is going to make you better 
at life. This is why we believe a growing relationship with Jesus matters so much. So the question is, what does that mean? I mean, if you grew up in church, you grew up around church, you've heard people talk about this. But what does it mean? Here's the good news. A growing relationship with Jesus is not something mystical. A growing relationship with Jesus is not something abstract. A growing relationship with Jesus is not something just for a few people. It is for everyone, and it is simple to understand, and it is very practical to experience. And so what I want to do today and next week is I just thought, let's pause for two weeks. Let's talk about this, because I want to explain to you what it means to have a growing relationship with Jesus, and then how you get there, how you get there. Now, the Apostle Paul, and you're probably familiar with Paul, you've heard of him. The Apostle Paul traveled the Mediterranean Rim in the first century, and he started churches in all of these towns all over the Mediterranean Rim. And then he would, after he left these churches, he would write letters back to them, checking in on them, giving them further instruction, continuing to answer their questions and teach them about what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the questions that he got from these churches is, hey, what does it mean to keep growing? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And so in his letters that are now part of our New Testament, he would address this. And one of the places where he addressed it really clearly was in a letter to Christians in the city of Philippi. Paul had gone to this city. He'd started a church. He'd stayed there a little while. Then he had moved on, but he writes back to them, and he says, okay, I want to make it clear. You got some questions. You're wondering, do we have a growing relationship? How do we get there? I want to address it for you. And so Paul, in this letter, gives us crystal clear clarity about what a growing relationship with Jesus looks like. In other words, he says this is not something that's, you know, confusing. This isn't something that is not clear. There is a bullseye on the wall. There is a target we all shoot for. There is a clear win, a clear definition, a clear end in mind when you begin to follow Jesus. And he explains for all of us what that is and what that looks like. And then he begins to explain our role and how to experience it. So I want to start today by looking at what he said and unpacking this together for just a second. Here's what Paul wrote when he was asked, what's it mean to have a growing relationship? He said, here's what it means. It means you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. To which I read that and think, okay, well, if that is the standard, I might as well check out now because I'm, not, I'm never going to get there, right? That's, that feels next to impossible. It's hard to go a day without doing something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, to which Paul would say, no, 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 don't give up, don't quit. Like, this is the end goal. This is the direction you're moving towards. This is, this is your destination if you were following Jesus, but you don't have to be there yet. Don't give up. Hang with me. He goes on, to though, to, to identify or to define what this looks like. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. How do I know if I'm growing? where you're going to be growing in humility. You're going to be valuing others a little bit more above yourself today than you did yesterday, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset, or another word for that is attitude. Another word for that is perspective. He says, you should have the same attitude, mindset, and perspective as Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to write some words that became so famous in the first century. They would quote these in churches. And over the years, it, it hasn't been lost. Like It's still a big deal in churches today because what Paul goes on to do is describe for us the attitude or the mindset that Jesus had. Paul goes on to say, Jesus left eternity and he stepped onto earth and he emptied himself of his divinity and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And then Paul explains how Jesus went so far as to humble himself and value us above himself that he would go to a cross and put our interest above his own. And Paul's point is this. 
This is what the end goal looks like. A growing relationship with Jesus means every day, every day, you're becoming a little bit more like Jesus in terms of your attitude, your perspective, and your character. Every day, every day, you're demonstrating the same type of behavior that Jesus displayed. You're getting a little bit better at that. I'll put it this way. I'll summarize what he said. Basically, he's saying it's to have an attitude of humility that values others before self and an attitude of serving that prioritizes others before self. Now, to do this consistently feels really difficult. I mean, let's be honest about it. To do this consistently, we think, I don't know if I'll ever get there. Well, Paul says, that's okay. This is where you should be growing. This is where you should be walking. This is the direction you should be moving if you're following Jesus. And you're not going to get it perfect. You're not going to get it right all the time. But this is what God is trying to do in your life. Now, whether you feel like you're very good at that or not, none of us can argue with the fact that life would be better if that were more true of us. Isn't that right? I mean, think about it. Wouldn't your life be better if you got better at that kind of humility and at that kind of servant's heart? Imagine how much differently your life would be if you were known for this. Imagine how much better your career would be if you were known as a person that, you know what, we can trust them implicitly. Like, they're always going to value the other people on the team, the other people in the organization. They're always going to value what's best for them above what's best personally. That's somebody you can trust. They're always going to prioritize other people above themselves. Imagine if that were true for you. Do you think you would be more successful in your career without a doubt? Without a doubt. Because that would lead to a level of trust, and that would lead to a level of effectiveness in your workplace that you don't get when you look for yourself first. Imagine how much better dating relationships would be, marriages would be. Imagine how much better you'd be as a parent. Imagine how much better your friendships would be. If every day you were getting a little bit better at demonstrating that kind of humility and that kind of servant's heart, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just think about this for a minute. Imagine how much more you would like Christians if this were true of us. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? The things that drive you crazy about people who follow Jesus wouldn't drive you crazy anymore. As a matter of fact, if this is the reputation we have, and if this is the way we lived, then you would actually want to have more friends who were Christians. You would actually want to have more friends who were on your team, at, or more Christians who were on your team at work. You would actually want to have more Christians living in your neighborhood, and you would hope that your kids dated more Christians and eventually married one. Imagine how much better it would be if you could say, you know what, you can trust those people. Like, I don't believe like they do, I'm telling you. They always put the interest of other people before their own. You can just trust them. Don't worry about it. They're not going to take advantage of you. Our lives would be so much better if this were true. But this is hard. This is hard. And while we may, you know, sit here in, in church and go, well, yeah, I want this to be true, and I'll try, I'll try, I'll try, the reality is, it's very, very difficult to do. This is not natural. So, for centuries, here's what Christians have done, and we still do it today. For centuries, because this is not natural and because this is so difficult, and to be real honest, for centuries, because Christians have looked at this, and at times we have come to the conclusion I don't think that kind of humility, I don't think that kind of servant's heart is actually going to make me happiest. I think I'd rather look out for myself. For centuries, because that's been true for us as Christians, and we have doubted whether this is best, what we have done is we have changed the standard of what it means. 
It's happened since the time Jesus left. We have tried to change the standard from, okay, a growing relationship with Jesus means we're developing these qualities, and we started to try to convince ourselves, well, a growing relationship with Jesus means we just know more about Jesus. Or a growing relationship with Jesus means we, we're just more active religiously. And Paul would say to us, no, no, no. This is what he wanted the Philippians to know. Do not fall into that trap. Because a growing relationship with Jesus isn't about that. Matter of fact, here's what Paul was driving at. That spiritual growth isn't measured by how much you know. It's measured by how well you love. This is what Paul was saying. Do not measure your spiritual growth by how much you know. Don't change the standard. Don't measure it by how active you are religiously. Just look at how well you love people. Look at how much humility you demonstrate. Look at how much of a servant's heart you have. Look at how well you are valuing others before yourself. Which simply means this. If you're at church every single week, if you read your Bible every single day, if you pray all the time, if you're in Bible studies every single week, like if you could check off all the religious to-do lists, you know, all the religious activities, if you are doing all of those things and you are knowing more and more and more about the Bible, but it does not lead you to love more and it does not lead you or result in you loving better, then you are doing it all wrong. You are. So if you come every week and you sit in a row and then you leave and you're a follower of Jesus but you're not developing more and more humility, you're a follower of Jesus but you're not valuing and putting the interest of others above your own, if you listen every single week to somebody like me but you never get better at loving, it means you're doing what you're doing wrong. Because the end goal of a growing relationship with Jesus is to love better. It is not just to know more. So the question becomes, okay, if that's the goal, if that's where God's trying to take me, if that's what he's trying to do in me is develop more of Christ's character, more of Jesus' attitude in me, then how do you do that? I mean, how do you even get there? Because it's not natural, and I don't do a great job of it, and I don't even always think about it and consider it. Like, I just think about my own interest. So how do you get there? Well, Paul goes on to explain to these Philippians how you get there. And he talks about a role that God plays in your growth. And he talks about a role that you play and that I play. And he wants to make sure we are clear on the difference. So here's what he tells us down in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. In other words, as you've always tried to follow Jesus, you've always tried to grow in your relationship. It's not like this doesn't matter to you. So he says, you're, you're given the effort, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, not only when I was there with you when we started the church and I explained to you what this meant, but I've noticed, Paul says, and I've heard that now much more in my absence, like, you just keep doing this. You keep following Jesus. You keep trying to grow. He says, here's what you've got to remember. Here's what you have to know. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, here's what Paul said. Paul said, there's a role God plays and a role you play. Our job is to work out what God has worked in. See, God's role is this. God's role is to go to work in your heart and in mine to help us will and to help us act. Here's all that means. Paul says, God's job, God's job is to point out areas that, hey, this area you need to grow in. This piece of your character, you could make some progress here. This is an area of your life that if you changed, it would make a big difference. This is an area where you're not putting the interest of other people before yourself. 
God's role is to point those things out. If you've ever wondered if it's like, oh my gosh, I just feel like you know, I'm probably doing some things I shouldn't do, but I don't know what they are, you shouldn't sweat that. Because God is going to point out those areas and make it clear to you when you need to address them. Paul says God's role is to help you to will or to desire or to believe or to see the things you need to see. He's going to point all that out and he's going to help you to act. He's going to give you the power to change. He's going to empower you to do what is not natural and what you cannot do on your own. So when it comes to that and you think, I could never have that kind of humility, I could never prioritize other people like that, I mean, it's just not something that comes to me naturally, Paul says, no, don't worry about that. I could never get there. Paul says, don't worry about that because you don't have to do it on your own. God's going to step in and help you do what you can't do yourself. But you have a role, and I have a role, and it is to work out what God works in. And he says work it out with fear and trembling, which is just a first century way of take it seriously. When God points something out in your life and says this is an area where you should grow, do not ignore it. This is all Paul's saying. Do not ignore it. You need to cooperate, and you need to change. You should pay attention. You should stay in step. Because when you cooperate... And when you take a step, wherever God points something out, it is how you grow spiritually. It is how you work out what God works in you. And Paul says God is doing all of that for a very, very specific reason. It's to fulfill his good purpose. Now, you know what that is? It's real simple. You know why God does everything he does in your life? There's one big overarching reason. It's to help you develop big faith. That's why God does everything that he does in your life. It's just to help you develop big faith. And big faith just means this. There's nothing mystical about it. Big faith just means God wants you to trust him more. That's why he does everything that he does in your life. To help you trust him more. Because, and this is so important to understand, if you could get this, it would change the way you thought about everything in regards to spiritual growth. Because God does not want you to relate to him as a God to a created being. God does not want to relate to you as a judge to a felon. That is not how God relates with you. It's not how he wants you to relate to him. God invites you to call him Father. And he wants you to think of him and relate to him as a child would relate to a father. And what makes a relationship between a father and a child so strong. One thing, trust. That's it, isn't it? Trust. The deeper, this is true for all relationships, trust is the foundation for any healthy relationship. And so the deeper your trust goes with someone, the stronger your relationship becomes. And so everything God does in your life is designed to do one thing, is to deepen your trust in him. It's to deepen your trust in him to the point that no matter what life throws your way, no matter what happens, no matter what curves you get in life, nothing shakes your trust in him. Nothing causes you to question his love for you. Because you know he's your father. And he always loves you. And you have built and centered your life around your relationship with him. So you cannot be shaken no matter what happens in your life. That is God's ultimate goal for you. That is what big faith looks like in very, very simple terms. It means your faith and your trust in God continues to grow deeper and deeper and deeper to the point that it is never shaken, and that you do not question or doubt. 
if God is there and if he cares. So, God's role is to point things out when he goes, whoa, there's an issue here, and the reason you're actually acting that way, the reason you're actually valuing your own interest above someone else, the reason you don't want to tell the truth in that situation, the reason you want to engage in that behavior, the reason you don't want to do that is actually because you don't trust me. So let's deal with that area because I want you to be able to trust me with that. I'm your father, and I've, I've got your best interest at heart. When you trust me with that, when you take that step, our trust is going to deepen. This is what God's trying to do in your life and in mine. And there's a role that you play and a role that I play in deepening that trust and developing big faith. So what I want to do for the rest of today and next week is I want to talk to you about what I call five faith catalysts, okay? And I I say they're faith catalysts because when you, and this is your part, when you put these five things in your life, it ignites or it is a catalyst for your faith, your trust in God to grow. These are five tools that God always uses to build or to grow your faith and your trust in him. Now, I'll tell you up front, when you read the scriptures, and the stories of the people whose lives are recorded there. You see all five of these catalysts, but there's no one verse that I, you, know, you read and it's like, well, here are the five things and it just lists them. There may be more than five things. I'm not saying they're just five. But in the seat I'm in, doing what I do for a living, I hear you know, hundreds and hundreds, probably over the course of my life, I've heard thousands of people's faith stories. Okay? They would say, well, you know, I'll ask them, well, what is, tell me your story and how has your faith grown and how have you gotten to the point you've gotten to? And when they tell me their stories, I noticed again and again that these five things just keep popping up. They're common to all people. And so I want to take you through them today and the rest of next, next week because when you put these things in your life, your faith is going to grow, guaranteed. I'm going to give you the first two today. We'll talk about the last three next week. Here's the first one. It's what I call practical teaching. Practical teaching. It is the first of the five faith catalysts. Practical teaching just means this. Whenever someone tells me their story, and I bet this is true for your story too, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time. Whenever someone tells me their story, at some point they will say, and then I started going to this church, or I started listening to this speaker or preacher, or I started getting, I got in this Bible study, or I went to this Sunday school class, and they'll begin to describe for me how they got in an environment or a place where they heard someone describe the Bible in a way that made sense to them. And they'll say, it was like all of a sudden the lights came on, you know, I could understand it. I didn't just understand what it meant, I understood what I was supposed to do with it, and things, I just began to grow. I just began to grow, you know, and they'll start talking about all the steps they took as, as the Bible started to make sense to them. And what they're describing, and none of us use this language, but what they're describing is practical teaching. They are describing something Jesus actually described in the first century. He taught a sermon that's very famous, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it actually is, is in Matthew. It's recorded in Math, the Gospel of Matthew in three different chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at the very end of this sermon, Jesus addresses this idea of practical teaching and the fact that that is what he is presenting to the people who just heard his sermon. Here's how he describes the power of practical teaching. He said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, you've got to know what the teaching is. He says, so if you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice... So it's not an either-or thing. But he says, if you will take what I just taught you, if you'll take what you know, and you will put those principles into practice, every person who does that is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He uses this analogy. He said the rain came down, 
the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, all Jesus is teaching here is this. When you begin to take what Jesus taught and you begin to apply it, when you don't just know more, but you actually do more with what you know, then you build a foundation in your life that is unshakable because your faith in God deepens as you do what he says. Your faith in God deepens as you apply what you know. So for us, from the day we started this church, practical teaching has been a really, really big deal to us. And we've actually structured our church, and you don't realize this, and you don't even need to know this necessarily, but we have structured our church to make sure for every age group at every single level, every single Sunday, people who come to our church, preschoolers, elementary, middle school, high school, college, you know, young adults, middle-aged adults, really old adults, I'm not going to tell you which one you fall into, you can choose for yourself, you know, like all the way until you hit the grave, we want you every single Sunday to be exposed to or to hear, to experience practical teaching. In other words, we don't want anyone from a preschooler all the way up to ever come to our church on a Sunday and to walk out and go, I have no clue what they were talking about. I have no clue what they meant by that. You should be able to come and say, that makes perfect sense. I understand what they're teaching, I understand what they're talking about, and this is key. And I know what to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean you do anything with it, does it? It doesn't mean I do anything with it. But you should at least walk out and understand, and the choice is then up to you, am I going to apply what I just learned? But you should never walk out confused. Now, this is a really big deal to me. It's, and we do this at every level, but I'll tell you what happens with me. You, again, you probably don't need to know this, but I'll tell you anyway. This is such a big deal to us. We never want you to walk out confused. So one of the things that we do, that I do, is kind of like a basketball coach or a football coach. Every single week, I sit down, and I go back and break down film. I go back and watch what I have done on Sunday. Now, if you never had to watch yourself, you should do it one time. Because it is absolute torture. You're like, oh, really? That's how bad that Well, you know, it's like no, nobody likes to watch themselves. But I sit down, I force myself to do this every single week because, I, you know, I sit there with a piece of paper and I take notes and I break it all down because I don't want to, you know, to communicate in such a way that you walk out confused. I don't want to communicate in such a way that you go, I don't get that or that didn't connect or that didn't make sense. So every single week I'm evaluating it, figuring out how I can get better and making notes on how I can get better. But I don't stop there. In our services, there are people who sit in our services who evaluate me, who I say, okay, I want you to tell me. I want you to text me as soon as it's done. I want you to tell me what made sense. I want you to tell me what was helpful. But I want you to tell me what was confusing. And so at the end of the first service every week, I get a text and I look at it, which means you guys are lucky because hopefully I'm a little better second service than I was first. So smart move on your part to come to this one. But I'm, I'm trying on the spot to get better. Again, because this is a really big deal. You should never, ever, ever come to church and walk out confused. You should never come to church and walk out and go, I don't know what that meant, and I don't know what it has to do with me. If you go to a church that makes no sense, if you go to church and you walk out and go, I don't know how that applies, you should find a different church, and that includes ours. If you're ever confused, if you're confused here every week, you should, you know, go find a different church because this is one of the ways God builds your faith. You need to know what it says. You need, it needs to make sense to you, but then you need to know what to do with it. This is really, really big. So 
Let me ask you a couple questions around this idea of practical teaching. The first one is this. Are you listening to practical teaching on a consistent basis? This, is, this word consistent is important because cons- growth happens over time. Consistency is the key to growth. Your spiritual growth happens. Is, the reason consistency is so important is because there's a cumulative effect. It's kind of like working out. Some of you work out and you know this, you understand this. Some of you don't work out and you've tried to work out and you know this. Like if you miss a workout, you don't go home and suddenly feel like, oh, my body fell apart. Like there's no noticeable difference if you miss a workout or two workouts or three workouts. Same is true if you show up. You don't go home after one workout and go, wow, I'm so much stronger. Because working out has a cumulative effect. If you miss enough over time, again, you don't notice in the moment, but eventually you realize, oh, I've missed something. If you do work out consistently over time, you eventually realize, oh, I've gained something. Well, the same thing is true with all five of these faith catalysts, especially practical teaching. It's important to be exposed to practical teaching on a consistent basis because there is a cumulative effect. You don't notice it in the moment, but over time you begin to see growth because every week you're hearing something, you know how to apply it, and you go try to take that step. Now, Real quickly, let me just talk to you parents, okay? Because it's not just true for adults. It's true for kids, too. It's true for students, too. This is one of the reasons why, if you're a parent, it is a really, really big deal for you to consistently have your kids and your students here in our takeoff area, in our 252 area, in our transit or inside-out area. It's really important for you to have them consistently here because on a consistent basis, they need to hear practical teaching. There is a cumulative effect to that. And when they are not here consistently, and I'm not trying to guilt you. I know there's so many things going on in your life and in your world. I'm not trying to guilt you about this. I'm just telling you what happens. If you don't have your kids involved on a consistent basis, there is a hidden cost. You will never, ever see it in the moment. I'll tell you when when you'll see it. You will see it down the road. A lot of times it happens about eighth grade. Sometimes it happens when the student gets into high school. Sometimes it happens when the student goes off to college. But I see this happen over and over again. There's a hidden cost. Eventually, your student begins to engage in some behaviors, your child does, and you go, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? And then here's what you do. You call us up and you say, hey, you're not doing enough for my kid. And what I want to tell you, and I don't say this because I'm nice, but what I want to tell you is, no, you didn't do enough for your kid. It's not us. It's not us because, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just, I used to be in student ministry. I watched this happen. When you don't have your, your student or your child consistently un, in practical teaching in church, experiencing practical teaching, without realizing it, what you're communicating to them is that's not that valuable. That's not that valuable. And there's a hidden cost. They are missing, and you are missing out on the cumulative effect of what God does in a person's heart when they're consistently exposed to practical teaching. And then it shows up down the road, and you never connect the dots back, but it started right back here. You're experiencing the hidden cost of missing this. So again, it's not guilt. I just want you to understand. There is value in this. It's like working out. This always pays off down the road. So are you exposed to practical teaching on a consistent basis? Here's the other question I want to ask you real quick. What are you doing with what you hear? What are you doing with what you hear? Because I know this, and you know this too. It is easy to come sit in a row and listen to somebody like me talk 
And at the end, I'll say, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Here's the next step I want you to consider taking. And you sit there and go, I should probably do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then you walk out, and you know more than get out the door, and the whirlwind of life hits you again. And if all you do is sit in a row and listen to somebody like me speak, you have no one to encourage you to do something with what you hear. You have no one who's checking up on you. Hey, did you do that? You have no one who's saying, hey, you need to go ahead and take that step. And if you don't do anything with what you hear, there is minimal value in what you have heard. But this is hard, isn't it? And I know why it's so tough. It's uncomfortable to take the steps most of the time. It is. It's a lot easier to talk about forgiveness than it is to offer it to someone. It's a lot easier to talk about self-control than it is to develop it. It is a lot easier to talk about purity than it is to practice it. It is a lot easier to talk about giving or serving or loving generously than it is to actually do it. So you need not just to hear, but as Jesus said, you've got to be intentional about putting it into practice. What are you doing with what you hear? Because application is what always leads to transformation in our lives. So, That's the first faith catalyst, practical teaching. Let me give you the second one. It's what I call personal ministry, personal ministry. Here's all this means. Whenever I talk to people and I hear their stories, at some point, and this is true for you and your story, I bet, at some point, they will look at me and say, hey, and then somebody invited me and I went on this mission trip, or somebody asked me to get involved at my church, and so I started getting involved, I started working with preschoolers, I started, you know, greeting people, I started working behind the scenes and volunteering there, I started working with middle school students, you know, whatever. They'll start talking about an opportunity to serve, and almost without fail, they'll say, I felt too busy to do it, I felt too inadequate to do it, I just didn't want to do it, it felt like an obligation to me at first, but suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, this is not an obligation, this is an opportunity. Because when I began to do that, my faith grew. You know why personal ministry, you know why the habit of serving ignites your faith so much? There are three reasons. One, when you choose to take whatever gift God has given you and use it to help somebody else, it often forces you to depend on or trust God to do things you've never had to depend on him before to do. I promise you, if you spend your time trying to connect with preschoolers or elementary kids or a group of middle school boys, or if you use your, you know, your gift to serve somebody else in terms of creating a welcoming place or you work behind the scenes or whatever your deal is, when you begin to do that, you really quickly realize, wait a minute, I don't know if I can do this very well. And it causes you to begin to depend on God. It causes you to begin to pray and ask God for help. And dependence on God always builds trust in God. Here's another reason why it works. Because you are putting a habit in your life every single week where you are forced to focus on somebody else before yourself. It is a habit where you're forced to put the interest and needs of somebody else above your own. I'm telling you, if you don't have a habit, a place that forces you to do that every week, you will never do it consistently because it's just not natural to any of us. And, I don't know if you thought about this, but when you serve regularly somewhere, You are also surrounding yourself with other people who want to put the needs and interests of others before their own, which, by the way, is a key to a happy life. And it definitely is a catalyst to grow our faith. And you begin to surround yourself with other people who encourage you and remind you, oh, yeah, life's not about me. Oh, yeah, life's not about me. Oh, yeah, I should think of others before myself. But you need that weekly reminder. And you have to develop it as a habit. Now, Every now and then, 
I'll stand up here and I'll say, hey, if you're not involved at our church, you should get involved. If you're not serving, I want you to serve, you know, and I'll encourage you and try to inspire you to take a step and to do that. And without fail, somebody views it this way. Somebody will say, ah, he's just trying to get something from us. And I just always chuckle at that because I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm actually trying to give something to you. I don't want anything from you. This isn't for us. When you serve here, when you serve anywhere, it's actually for you. It's actually for you. Because it ignites your faith and your growth in a way nothing else can. Peter, he wrote a letter to some Christians, and he talked about it this way. He said this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, here's all Paul was saying, or Peter was saying, excuse me. He was saying this, hey, here's what, you, here's what you get. Here's why this is for you. When you choose to take whatever gift you've received, you've got a gift to connect with preschoolers. You've got a gift to organize. You've got a gift to connect with middle school boys. You've got a gift to lead. You've got a gift to create. He says, whenever you take whatever gift, a gift of hospitality to make people feel welcome, when you take whatever gift God's given you, and you don't just use it to make money, nothing wrong with using it to make money, but you don't just use it to make money, you don't just use it to make your life better, but when you actually use it to serve someone else, an extraordinary thing happens. God uses your gift to show his grace to someone. And when you see that, your faith grows. God uses your gift when you use it for somebody else. God uses that gift used for someone else to actually grow your own faith, and you gain more from it than you give. But it's because you took your gift and you put the interest of someone else before your own. This is why it matters so much. So, here's the question I want to ask you when it comes to this. Where do you regularly serve others? Because it's got to be a habit. If it's not a habit, you're going to continue to do what's natural. You're going to continue to put your own interest above others more times than not. It doesn't mean you're not going to help people or serve people from time to time. But it won't change your heart. It won't become natural for you to think of others first if you don't make it a habit. So where do you regularly do this? It can be at our church. It can be at the school your kids attend. It can be at a nonprofit in the community. It doesn't matter. But you need a place where you regularly are putting the interest of someone else before your own, and you're regularly reminding yourself, oh, yeah, life's not about me. Oh, yeah, life's not about me. Oh, yeah, it's about them first. When you do that, you will see your faith grow in an extraordinary way. Now, as I said, there are three other faith catalysts. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. They're private disciplines or private habits, providential relationships, and pivotal circumstances. Next week, I'll explain to you what all three of those mean and how you can play a role in using them to have a growing relationship with Jesus. Today, here's all I want to ask you. You got to apply something to this, okay? You got to know what your next step is. Here's your next step. Your next step is simply this question Will you take a step? Will you take a step? Maybe the step for you is I got to get more consistent in showing up and hearing practical teaching and doing something with it. I got to get more consistent in walking out of here and having, looking at somebody and saying, Hey, this is a step I want to take this week. This is what I want to work on. This is what I'm going to try to do. Will you check in with me? 
Maybe the next step for you is to go to a nonprofit, to go to a school in the community, to stop by the suite after church or to email us and say, hey, I need a habit of serving. Can you help me get connected? But what's the next step you need to take? Here's what I know. Don't miss this. Spiritual growth is a journey and not a destination. So you stop growing spiritually the minute you refuse to take a step. Don't miss that. You stop growing spiritually the minute God, because this is his role, points out something to you and says, you need to work on that. You need to change that. You need to do this. And you say, nope, I don't think that'll make me happy. Nope, I don't think I want to sacrifice to do that. Nope, I don't think I want to deal with that. It'd be too hard. The minute you stop taking a step is the minute you stop growing spiritually. But as long as you take a step, you are progressively believing and behaving more like Jesus, and you are progressively experiencing a growing relationship with Jesus. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting to the end and saying, oh, look here, I've got it all figured out. I never mess up. No. It's just about continuing to move forward and take a step. So what step do you need to take? And then will you take it this week? Now, last thing, and I'll wrap up. Feelings are a terrible indicator of how you're growing spiritually. you got to understand this. Your feelings are a terrible indicator of how you're growing spiritually. You can come here and listen to the music and be all into it and walk out and go, oh my gosh, it just felt like God was there and I just had this moment and I had this... That doesn't mean you're growing spiritually. Or you can come to church, you can read your Bible during the week and be like, I don't feel anything, I don't know if God's anywhere around, I don't feel like I'm growing at all. That doesn't mean you're not growing. Feelings are a terrible indicator of whether you're growing spiritually. You know what is the indicator of whether you're growing spiritually? Your actions. That's what you should look at. What you should look at is, hey, am I cooperating with God and am I taking a step? Am I cooperating with God and putting these faith catalysts in my life? That's my role. Am I cooperating with God and finding myself getting a little bit better and a little bit better at how well I love people? That's how you determine whether you're growing spiritually or not. Not how you feel. And the great thing about these faith catalysts is God says it's completely in your control. You put these five tools in your life. We'll talk about the next three next week. You put these tools in your life. You practice this. And God says, I guarantee I will show up and I will do in you what only I can do. And you'll develop greater humility. You'll be better at valuing others above yourself. You'll be better at putting the interest of others before your own. You'll get better at loving. Which means your life will be better. And you will be better at life. And you will be happier. But you have to do what you can do before God steps in and does what only he can do. So what step do you need to take? Will you take it? Let me pray for us. Father, first of all, thanks for promising you'll show up and do some things in us that, boy, we cannot do in ourselves. We cannot do for ourselves. Thanks that you're willing to show up, and when we choose to follow Jesus, you work in us. You help us to figure out how to better follow, how to better love. You point out areas, and you make it so clear, okay, well, here's the step you've got to take. Here's the change you've got to make. 
And thanks for giving us the power to do what we can't do on our own. But I bet for every one of us, there is a step that is in our control that we need to take. Maybe it has to do with practical teaching. Maybe it has to do with developing this habit of personal ministry and serving others on a regular basis. Maybe it's a step to forgive someone we don't want to forgive. It's a step to show self-control in an area we don't want to demonstrate self-control. It's a step to come clean and be honest with someone about something we don't want to be honest about. But whatever that step is for us, would you point that out as you always do? And then I pray that you would give each of us the courage and the boldness to take that step, to not ignore it. Because every time we do, it ignites a little more growth, a little more faith, a little more trust in you. Help us to reach a point where our trust in you is so deep that we know you are a good father who we can count on no matter what. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have